Welcome to season six of the Making a Marketer podcast with your hosts, Megan Powers with Event Marketing Partners and Powers of Marketing and Jen Cole with Gretemann Group and Xdan. This show is for all levels of experience talking marketing and business with the best guests in the industry. Two guarantees that we maintain you will learn and laugh. Here we go. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 115 of the Making a Marketer podcast. I'm Megan Powers with Event Marketing Partners and Powers of Marketing. This show is made possible by Powers of Marketing. We focus on strategic content creation, including podcast and event production, hosting and emceeing. And my trusty co-host is Miss Jen Cole. Hi, Jen. Hey, Megan. How are you doing today? (laughs) I'm good. It's Friday. We're recording on a Friday and um, headed to a big music festival here in San Diego that had its inaugural in 19. And then this is only the second one. So, um, (laughs) um, you know, kind of things been going on the last couple of years, but I'm pretty excited for that, you know, being just like a two mile, I could walk there. Oh my gosh. That is such a dream to not have to deal with parking and all that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I may scooter down there, but there yeah. you go. so we'll exactly. see what happens. And as we are also entering the weekend before Thanksgiving, so this will probably Ooh. be published right after Thanksgiving. So if you are listening now, I hope you hope you had a happy one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, friends. So today our topic is something that we've never talked about before. We've talked ab- about the things involved, but we've never talked about revenue operations as a thing, as a framework or as a strategy. And our guest on the show today is Lindsay Martin Bilbrey. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. We're happy to have you. So truly, I mean, I've known you for a while and I've known I've had a little bit of insight into what you do because we're both event professionals, but this kind of blew my mind, this thing that you're doing. And so I love, I want to get into it, but let me first read your bio. Okay. Lindsay Martin Bilbrey, CMP, which for those of you listening who don't know, it's a certified meeting professional. She is a lover of ice sculptures and integrations. Lindsay aims to make sure revenue ops, events, and technology easier for you and your participants to use and participants to enjoy. She brings nearly 20 years of experience helping brands create experiences that leave lasting emotional impressions while solving real business problems using a thoughtful mix of strategy, creativity, Activity and innovation. Lindsay is an accomplished speaker, event professional marketer, and her work has been featured in the New York Times, Ed Week, Personify TV, and the Association Research Lab. She and her company have worked with brands including ICIMS, ICIMS, I guess, HubSpot, the Ford Motor Company, yeah, <laughs> SiriusXM, National Restaurant Association, Bell Helicopter, Harvard Business School, Event Marketer, and IMEX. Woo! You know what's funny is that, is it ISIMS? Isoms, yeah. Isoms is the talent acquisition software. Yeah. So randomly, I listen to this show on Fridays when I have the time at 10 a.m. Pacific time, and they just came from that show. It just happened. Yeah, we we actually launched their first user conference, and they've taken it in-house because we kind of had the ground set. They pull it in, and they've just they've taken it and just turned it into something just amazing. But we did their very first one and helped them put That's their awesome. program together and help them get off the land. Yeah. Very cool. Inspire. Yeah, it was just weird. I was like, I never heard of it before, <laughs> and I read it in your bio, and I saw it there, and I was like, wait a minute. What 
with them. Yeah, they're an amazing talent acquisition company. They've got just good people that have been making some killer acquisitions. They just have a, a wonderful portfolio. Wonderful. Okay, so this is a big topic, but it's going to be challenging to fully cover in under 45 minutes. But I do think that this will give our listeners some great insight into what revenue operations is and whether it makes sense for them to go this route within their own organizations. And so I'm going to have Jen kick us off. Sure. All right. Well, revenue is obviously crucial in keeping our companies in business. Our listeners might not have heard of revenue ops as a strategy or a way to do business. So tell us, what exactly is revenue operations and why should we care as marketers? So revenue ops is basically the alignment of sales, marketing, and customer success across the full customer lifecycle. So marketers in particular, sometimes there is this like tunnel vision around demand gen or what we've done to like keep them going through drips and nurtures, right? That audience yeah. development element. And so many times you hear about the sharks and jets battles between sales and marketing and poor professional services or CX is like, we answer the chats. And I'm like, no, friends, you do so much more. And, you know, RevOps for us in particular, because many times when we come into an enterprise brand and work with them, we're coming in through the events channel. We go, well, how do the leads come to you? What happens if you disqualify them? How do you keep them friends of the family? How do you hand them off gracefully to sales? What does sales do with them? What do you do with them after they've become a customer? How do you reconvert them and keep all their money and make them make more money? And it's fascinating to me in these different silos of marketing, sales, and CX or customer support, how folks can't necessarily answer that question if they aren't all there together. And I'm like, well, how do you strategically know what's working and what isn't working inside your systems, inside your strategy, inside your hiring processes? I mean, from a CEO hat perspective, I like to know know where and how I'm making my money. And I assume they do too. So revenue operations is the way you can do that without disrupting the apple cart from what you're already doing as a brand. Yeah, it seems to boil down to like a whole lot more communication that people kind of don't really think about being necessary until you're in that kind of situation. Yeah, I mean, as yeah. an agency partner, we talk a lot about that because the conversations we get pro is like when things go wrong. And like if they'd asked yeah. three or four questions or approached it like the team sport that marketing, mm -hmm. sales and customer support is... You're like, let's just call it RevOps and be good about it. It's one go. team, right? It's like the, what is it? That old, the guy who does five o'clock somewhere. You know, it's basically one group under one roof, all the things. So, yeah. So the first thing I thought of when learning about this was, of course, all these departments should be working together within <laughs> organizations. I've been preaching it for years to my clients and our friend Jessica Phillips, I think what she talks about a flywheel, this relates to that, right? Like there's no beginning and end point. You don't you don't get a customer and then they just drop out of the bottom of the funnel. You nurture and you sell and you, know, you market and you sell and you service and you nurture and you market and you sell and you serve, you know, it's just, so it sounds like to me, though, like in reading through it, it sounds like maybe it takes a lot of staff to be able to work in this way. So as we know, the economy is struggling a little bit. Yeah. Uh, can you tell our listeners why revenue operations is especially important as we approach what may be a, a potential recession? So I think this one is an interesting conversation because it actually doesn't take more staff. It talks a lot. Of, actually, RevOps is really based around using your staff smarter and across all all of the organizations, right? So if you think about it, I have a chief revenue officer. Automatically, I don't have to have all of these like chief CMO, sorry, CMOs, or chief sales, sorry, chief sales. Like it can be one human, right? Who has a direct conduit to the CEO and the ops person so that they, we know how they're doing it. 
And then you can have heads of those departments. And then you kind of get rid of all the middle managers who are the admins, like the Salesforce admin. They're wonderful, but you don't need them. Like you take all of these roles and you kind of have a revenue manager who's going to focus on marketing and has a seat at the table with the head of sales ops who focuses on that. And so everything kind of starts doing this dotted line. So you're taking those roles together and you're giving them information. So you're streamlining the teams at the same time that you're supposed to also be streamlining kind of the technologies you use to power your tech stack. If you think of it as a rev tech stack, all of a sudden you go, does all of this play well together? Or are we right. putting like duct tape and bailing wire together right. and hoping that it works? And someday we go, Sincari, but what do we use that for? And no one knows because you bought it three CMOs ago. So right. it really is about thinking on both an effectiveness and an efficiency perspective. And you're not eliminating roles rather than combining them and helping them do it better. Now, as you approach a recession, this is great, right? Because you can show how marketing isn't a cost center. Marketing makes you money and you have the ability to take it and maybe put that headcount whose job it was to just do this one thing. Now they've got three things, but they were already doing the three things and we're acknowledging their role inside of that and not leaving anybody out of the cold. I like that. So I just recently, when Greg made the move to site from MPI, I saw that she they had made her chief revenue officer and I was like, when did that happen? Happen. So, and then her, she didn't, and she lumped all of her MPI time under that one title. So I wonder if this is, if they've gone to this. Paul was oh. thinking that way a long time ago. You can see, so yeah. Paul is the head of MPI. So like when he first came over, there were a lot of business practices he brought from large technology brands, many of whom have been the leader at this. You'll, you'll actually see many companies, some of them, there's the groundswell, but it's not the accepted best practice. And the ones that have seen the most success run with a lightweight tech and don't think like a professional association does where everything's really broken up into a hierarchy. Uh, it is a really different way of managing the organization, but it's a more effective from a bottom and a top line revenue perspective because it really says thoughtfully, how do we get the money? How do we keep the money? And there's a lot of us and a lot of brands who know how to make money, but man, you don't know how to keep it. And it's very evident at the end of the year when they start doing layoffs. Right. No, for sure. So our listeners know how big I am on, um, you know, community building. So I'd love to hear from you. How does community figure into all of this? This is one of my favorites just because community for so long. So I started like in the professional and trade association space. And we used to run these massive, beautiful citywide, right? And then I came over and started working in the enterprise technology user conferences. And I'm like, this is just a membership annual conference, but with penguins and a better budget. And I thought that was fabulous. And what's been fascinating to watch, especially the technology space, is how they're taking their users and turning them into community and then acknowledging the role that they play in like a channel marketing and a partner marketing perspective. And I think that's something where revenue operations in particular helps you capitalize on that because it has a zone around not just customer support, but customer experience. And yeah. it tracks back to, well, where do those humans start from? How do we not only make them evangelists, but how do we go, okay, well, Megan, she does this, this, and this, but she's never going to buy our product, but she runs this really great podcast. And so she'll go out and she'll talk about it, right? Same thing goes for the lurkers inside the community. I'm a lurker in several communities and I'm not Same. active, but... 
like, because of the things I see, I mentioned at the parties I go to, we do this and like, it's turned into profit for them. And that's the type of stuff that as a marketer, you go, that's marketing. We just don't call it that because it doesn't have a digital footprint. And RevOps allows you to say, okay, that came from here. And now I can have that hidden lead source and roll it up so that we get touched for it. And that first touch, last touch. And that's all that is, is community. You're using the gossip six degrees at Kevin Bacon model, and you're actually (laughs) monetizing it and then repeating it from like a framework. And I'm like, that's brilliant. Let's do more of that. And like HubSpot, Salesforce, any of the ones that have these massive user conferences are excellent examples because it's more than swag. It's an ongoing two-way relationship and that's community. And I think more of us need that in our lives, especially from an enterprise perspective. Agreed. I get all excited vaguely. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Well, and that's a great segue to, we've talked about all these elements on our show throughout the year, sales, marketing, customer experience. And in fact, a friend of the show and past guest, Dan Gingas, would especially like this because he preaches how positive customer experiences drive sales. But really, how do we know if we even need revenue operations as a framework. I mean, obviously budgets are tight. Boss is going to say, oh, I don't want another project. But like, so what do you say to people who are like, how do I know if I need it? So there's three questions we run into. And like the consultants, I think it's funny. I never have to like prove to agencies or consultants, you need RevOps because you hear these questions all the time. One, somebody at the leadership level complains, we have too many tools. I don't even know what I'm paying for that for. It's usually the CFO or the COO. It's like, they're confused, right? They're like, why do we have this? Or somebody brand new has come in at the front line and they're like, there are 17 things that plug into this. What? What is that? right? Our process is broken. This happens quite a bit at your QBRs, your quarterly business reviews. Marketing complains that sales won't use their qualified leads. Sales complains that marketing doesn't know what they're doing and that the process, that gap between like a sales qualified lead and an opportunity is a gray zone and no one wins, right? And then the last one is we don't know what's working or not. Like we're making money, but we're not really sure how. And the recession's coming and somebody at the board would really like us to articulate a better plan, then eh, it'll work out, right? right? Which is crazy, but you've all been there. We've sat in those meetings. Don't say you haven't. So those three questions are really kind of the big ones. If you're asking some variation of that, revenue options is a, if operations is a place to explore. Well, it's the first time I heard the term SDR. I was like, what's an SDR? Because when I was in sales, I didn't have people... Making like, appointments for, for you? <laughs> yeah. But also, this was really interesting because I had an event recently where I had a client who I managed their trade show booth, the build and everything. And, and then I just worked the booth with them. And I had a salesperson say to me, he said, every lead in my pipeline is qualified is there is potential for business to come from that because I don't have an SDR stuffing my pipeline just to get their numbers. And so I thought that was really interesting, right? Like, I guess that's happening. And that's, that's the thing when you, when you're just driven by numbers, like, okay, we got, I got, like, if, if you bring in, they're doing the, well, we bring in 50 leads. And we talk to 25 people and then maybe half of them, you know, and there is like this conversion like theory or, you know, math problem that they think is going to turn into business. But it seems like this makes more sense. Well, and it also 
I mean, RevOps, most teams who have implemented RevOps also, they go through usually some kind of strategy or game planning that includes having a lead score. Because a lot of RevOps, in order to understand how you're going to move it forward or disqualify it, you have to have both quantitative and qualitative information flowing in and out. And you can't do that if you don't have some kind of score model that will go, these are negative interactions. These are positive interactions. And that helps give of color to it. And then Jen goes, well, I was at the trade show booth and Megan had all of this information. And these are definitely people who are going to buy things, right? Versus all Megan came over to did was complain about the guy next to us and how cold it was in the trade show. Because like we've all had those demos, right? And right. so it's like, if you have those things in, you can use the notes on the contact record for use for like good. And then also have something that automatically tells the CRM or the marketing automation system to go left, right, or sideways. And then there's less guesswork and more automation, which again goes back to that effectiveness and efficiency. You want to streamline how it's passing through so that people can still people and have the human voices that help make those sales and marketing interactions better, personalized, keep the clients right. happy in there, but not so much guesswork of, is this a real lead or not a real lead? Like it's in the year of almost our Lord, 2023. Are we still guessing what a lead is, guys? That's right. not okay. Right. Right. Well, and this guy's also a unicorn because he each night was emailing these people, these hot leads while still at the show saying, I know we're all still at the show, but I just wanted to have that, you know, just touch base. I'll be, yeah. you know, I'll be in touch next week. And I'm like, oh, I love you because here I am worried about them tagging the leads appropriately to put in their CRM because that's a piece that I don't ever get to have my hands on. You know, you just like you lead them to the water and you just hope like that, that they that they drink. So and again, revenue awesome. operations helps you right. put the tagging because like if again, you put the basic infrastructure into place, the tagging, it shouldn't be a manual thing. Like you, you need to do what people do best. And is our best use of a human tagging something? No, there's too much room for error. And that is what leads to layoffs in a recession. Because if all Jen's job is, is to upload and clean the Excel spreadsheets, there's things there. It's a larger conversation. No, for sure. I mean, making sure that they even get into the CRM, that's the first step. So, I mean, and and, and it's, it's, it's funny, but it's not. It's like, no, such a, it's so, it's such an issue. It's a basic thing, but it doesn't happen. And this is why part of the reason why 80% of trade show leads don't get followed up on. I so, know. But I will get off my soapbox. <laughs> it's it's halftime, friends. And oh we like to take a little brain break. And so instead of having it be around a holiday or whatnot, I thought it would be a little more interesting to for everyone to share what the podcast is that you listen to most frequently. And then another one like that you really enjoy, but maybe you don't listen to it quite enough. Jen, you want to go first? Yeah. Other, there, other than ours, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I would say the one that I try to listen to religiously is going to be Jeff and Grace's social media news live. It's literally relevant to me every single episode because they're breaking social media news and they're talking about it. And But I, you know, I, I often miss. And when I miss, I try to get back and watch the replay. I'm a little curious to see how it went today with how crazy this week has been with right. everything. Bless. Yeah. yeah. That's a lot of bless. With Twitter, like it's just been, whoo, 
dumpster fires everywhere. But then one that I also like to listen to kind of have on in the background is now marketing when uh, Jessica goes live with Mike Gingrich every Tuesday. And they just they always have a topic. It's kind of fun to see familiar faces, hear familiar voices and just get insight that I haven't thought of before. So when it comes to marketing. Love it. Awesome. What about you, Lindsay? So the one that I listen to most frequently is Smartless, just because I'm obsessed with Jason Bateman. And like, I would like it to be more elevated than that. But like, I find they're very thoughtful and also completely irreverent. And like, my world is so analytical sometimes that it's nice to not be and just listen to a lot of like Hollywood gossip, true stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, The one I should, and then the other one I listen to is Community Guidelines, or excuse me, Violating Community Guidelines with Brittany. Brosky and Sarah Shower. And it is hysterical because they talk about everything taboo in like everywhere. So like they'll take on BBC guidelines one day and then they'll come back and they'll talk about social media guidelines and what you should and shouldn't put out there, which like is a real question for me now because if Twitter goes away, like I have no problems drinking half a bottle of champagne and tweeting about life. We're getting stuck in the airport and tweeting about things. Right. Yeah. Go on LinkedIn now. Like, I don't, I'm having a real existential crisis of where, <laughs> where, where to emote on social media. Because I'm like, I, I know, but like, I'm old, Jen. I'm old. I just, I don't know if I could. Like, that's just not much. Fun. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then the one I want to listen to, but I never have time for is Duolingo's French. Like, I've been trying to learn the French language for 10 years now. Oh, cool. And I fail miserably. It's just right. American Southern and self struggles. <laughs> and I feel like Duolingo is going to solve my problems, but I just don't give it the same attention that I do Hollywood gossip and taboo topics on Twitter. <laughs> right. But also, if you're not going to be speaking French regularly, it's going to be really hard to maintain it anyway. So yeah. not to like burst your bubble, but <laughs> no, I mean, and this is it because like I spend more time when I do go to Europe for work. I'm in Germany all the time, like the United Kingdom. One, I know the language and the other one, the Germans are like, listen, we just we hear you say y'all just use English. It'll be better for all of us. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. Okay, so this is really hard for me because I it's funny. I just was looking through my library. I'm like, which ones do I pick? Um, and also just to let our listeners know, I will put links to these in the notes. I do listen to the daily, daily. I might not always listen to it on the day of... I might need to catch up, but almost always while I'm making my coffee now, I listen to it because it's 25, 30 minutes, pretty easy. I do love Smartless. And yeah, that is so much fun. I do not like how much advertising they have. I found myself fast forwarding through. But the one that I really love that I don't get to enough is Dana Carvey and David Spade's Fly mm-hmm. on the Wall. Yes. Oh, Guilty pleasure here too. That looks yeah. like fun. So, So Dana Carvey had one called Fantastic and it was just he talking to his sidekick and his brother and, you know, just different people. And they were just talking about whatever. And he's just hilarious. So it was they had a guy they'd call and he would give him he'd always have like a dad joke, like some really stupid (laughs) joke. But then he and um, David decided to team up. So I just love that. It's really, really, really fun. And Dana Carvey follows me on Twitter. So oh my those gosh, days may be over also. <laughs> Twitter goes away. I'm like my only cool like claim to fame is on Twitter, friends. Come on. Right. <laughs> it's all right. Oh, that's so funny. Come on, awesome. Elon. All right. Uh, okay. We digress. I know. Let's kick yeah. off the second half. <laughs> 
All right, here we go. The tech sector, including all of the primary social media platforms, have taken huge hits in the reductions in force over the last couple of weeks. Terrifying. So job security is at the top of everyone's minds, as is hybrid work, as many companies are now forcing employees to come back to the office three days per week at least. So RevOps is a way to close the loop between online and offline activities. How is that? So you know how Megan was talking about how trade show leads never get imported? Like the title of my book, if I ever write one, is closing the loop and using revenue operations to do it. Because as an event person, like I started out doing live events. We still run big trade shows and do things like that. And then somewhere along the way, I became a marketer. And it drives me freaking crazy. I'm just like... What are you talking? And like, it's the reason everyone thinks of marketing as a cost center. Don't even get me started on when they think, well, why do we have to pay the event manager? And I'm like, friends. So revenue operations, you have predictable business growth, which means you can afford the nice things where your technology and infrastructure and strategy planning is concerned, right? You know where the money's coming in, you know where there's money's going out, and you have the slush funds where like, if something breaks, you can hire the contractor to feed the loop. And that for the tech sector in particular, because so many of them act like a startup for years after they are no longer a startup. And then they plateau and they're like a mature company and they just like lose their shit. Sorry. (laughs) They just like lose it. And like all of a sudden they're like, oh God, we have to put all of this hierarchy in. And they start acting like GE when Jack Welch ran everything. And I'm like, there's a middle ground. And if you're, you're doing kind of stair steps as you're coming up. Revenue ops helps you think about the entire customer interaction from friend of the family to evangelist and all of the spaces in between. And that's really fantastic because you're really adapting to market change in an agile kind of way and not worrying if like all of a sudden the investors don't give you your series B. You have the ability to do better scenario planning with your revenue forecasting and your headcount. And that I think is what's valuable because you're treating it like the team sport that it is. I know I keep saying that, but everybody from the events team to the marketing team, if you don't refer the marketing and events team together to everybody who makes up your 70 versions of people who work in sales, because you don't lie to me, you know, you have too many different departments in the sales department, as well as like ops and finance. No one doesn't know what's going on. Everyone has a roadmap and you play from the same playbook. And that's where revenue operations really helps you reset the thinking around how we grow the business, how we keep the business alive. And tech is more vulnerable to this because they get distracted by the shiny things. But insurance, banking, everybody goes through it. Like if you keep a solid plan in place and then the trap doors, then you don't have to react. You're proactive in the way that you're plotting forward. I mean, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Easy. Yeah, so, I know. So I'm like, easy. I'm so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So um, it sounds important and it makes sense to go the RevOps route. So like, how does one get started? Let's say there's a lone wolf, you know, somebody in the company who's like, I listen to Lindsay on Making a Marketer podcast and this sounds like something my company needs to implement. How do they go about doing that? So there's two ways to do it. One, you're the new human at the job, right? Maybe you just lost your job because the tech industry imploded. Now you have a new operation. You're coming in and it starts with one person doing multiple roles and you go to your boss because you were hired to be the ninja and you go, this is crazy. 
here's the 72 things we're actually doing. And here's the ways that across the ways we make money and keep money, we can do it. So you break down, okay, I have the marketing coordinator, the demand gen person, the audience development, the creative director, the person who writes the copy, who edits the copy, who publishes the copy, right? All of these roles in the marketing department. And then you have the events team, all of those roles. Like take it, go on to LinkedIn and just look at all the open jobs. And if you see one that fits, put it in there and then do it for sales and then do it for customer support. And if you don't have a customer support, go to Zendesk, get their dictionary because it's still the best one out there and say, this is what a real customer support team looks like. Put all of that in there and then come with a plan. So like, that's what it is. And then build kind of like an umbrella. If we had it kind of look like this in an ideal world, how would the ball pass back and forth? And it's going to look really, really messy. And I'm going to send Megan this really fun graphic that she's going to put into the resources. And you're going to be like blowing all of the humans' minds when you share it. The other one is that you hire a leader that brings everything together. And this is typically somebody who doesn't come from the marketing or the sales world. This is somebody who sat like in a operations role. And I know every marketer listening to me is like, come on, Lindsay. But like the ops person has been the one in charge of like the procurement department. They've been in revolt, like in charge of like figuring out what technology to bring on board and how to make finance have peace with it. That person is skilled, not in marketing and sales necessarily, but in finding the ways where everything works together in alignment. And then they lead the change management around it because they can help you build the framework where you have the subject matter expertise as the marketer and you know who inside your organization has the sales expertise from a sales perspective and the CX. And you have those three kind of amigos that come together and let this one human kind of build that model for what's going to work for your brand. And it's going to be different for every organization moving forward. And it doesn't, you can't do it with one person. That's, I think, the biggest portion of this is that you have to have the other two leaders inside your organization. And if you don't like them, go find the person who you go around to in order to get what you need to have done over in sales or over in CX and bring them along. And then you're going to kind of be the ones, the cheerleaders who push this up and elevate it. And I think those are the two best elements of advice that I can give you. The other group that I would recommend is going to Gradient Works. They're a startup out of Austin. And they've been writing some amazing, fantastic different models for how brands can implement RevOps in a lot of different ways. And so that's something, depending on where you are in your journey in implementing or researching RevOps, that would be an excellent resource as well. Okay, awesome. Yeah, when I just started thinking from an agency perspective, like it would be... Yeah, that's the last way. Hire, hire me and I could come right. in and I'll be, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> seriously. No. Well, I know I, yeah, but I, I just mean like in terms of trying to implement it because, you know, we're doing the client work. I mean, this is work that you're doing, but mm -hmm. for agencies that are marketing agencies, like say you're a social media agency, there, there's, there are some agencies that do it all, right? But we are, Event Marketing Partners is an event marketing agency. We're, we're helping our team, our, our clients with strategy and we will do the holistic thing. But also a lot of times we're, we're coming in, they don't have headcount. And so, but this still needs to get done. And so they're bringing us in. And so, and in other words, I guess we're, you know, not painting our own house like we yeah. should. Um, and so I think this is something that would help, but I do think it would be overwhelming it is to think about 
oftentimes why an agency partner should be helping you ask why and why not. Like when you're brand side, you're almost too close to it. And I think especially if you're going to try and implement new tech, we're getting towards the end of the new year. You've been sitting in all these demos, right? And if your person selling you software isn't asking you, where is this going to fit into your overall life cycle, whether it's an ERP, a CRM, an automation tool, a chatbot, like you need to be thinking about how does it fit into the whole picture? Because you're ultimately responsible for that lead, whether you realize it or not as a marketer. And I think that's important. And that the agencies, no matter if you do one thing well, as a social media agency, for instance, or you do everything, you know, as part of your scope of services, you need to always be thinking because like, it's easier to fire you agency partners. And that's okay, because it's your job to ask the difficult questions. And if you can't have a client who answers those, or if your client doesn't know how to answer them, you have to stop what you're doing in some ways, because you are then going to be just making a bigger mess of it. Somebody's going to clean it up six months, 12 months, a year down the line, and it's going to mess up business operations for them because you didn't know when to push them harder. And I think that's a disservice that many agencies do because they want to finish the project and get paid. And a recession makes us all more vulnerable to that because cash flow is king, right? However, I think we all have a duty as marketers, not to sell a bag of used good. We know better. Don't lie. You do know better. You've talked about it with your team after you got off that Zoom call. So take the time to come back in and have the tough conversations. If you are in front of one of those clients, you can see that accident coming. Yeah. Great advice. All right. So I, you know, I've heard a lot of great things about revenue ops today, but, uh, Specifically, what positive results are you seeing for organizations you've worked with to implement a revenue operations strategy and framework? So the top two things we see, one is the leadership team has a better understanding of what's happening not only day to day, but kind of quarter over quarter and in weird, quirky ways. Because everything is high level at 30,000 feet or can drive down very bug dirt level, that's good because if the CEO comes in and suddenly challenges you to release a product line earlier, you no longer have to go check with 35 people. There's a game plan. Someone knows and like the supply chain falls into line and you can activate that. On the flip side of that, if you're the execution staff that's trying to figure out, are we investing in this trade show? Are we investing in a new partner? Are we investing in a new piece of tech? It's easier to make those and make your case for the money on the way up, particularly in a recession. They're cutting your budgets. They're cutting your headcount. They're going to ask you to do more with less. So by implementing a RevOps framework, that's been one of the biggest uh, lines of success is we know how we're spending our money. We have a pie chart that supports it. And if you want to get you know diggy with it, we can dig down and show you the line items. And that helps because they no longer think they're just throwing money at something from a leadership level. They give you what you need when you need it. And yes, it's a lot of work up front to put it in, but that's one of the single biggest areas we hear back from organizations who implement it. Nice work at the beginning is way well worth it. I found um, as a social media manager, I tell you, who planning and getting that stuff out of the way is better in the long run. For sure. All right, Lindsay, we like to ask every guest who is on our show, what is a great business book that you would recommend to our listeners? 
So I couldn't just do one. I had two. Okay. Is that okay? Because I go back and forth. You are, you're in good company. <laughs> Am I? Yeah, yeah. no. Yeah. So one that I fell in love with during the pandemic, because I was like, as an event planner, I was like, oh God, the house is on fire. We're eating bologna. It was called <laughs> Scenario Planning and Organizations, How to Create, Use, and Assess Scenarios by Thomas Chermack. And what I really loved about it is they had zebras on the front. Like if you hear hoofbeats, <laughs> think horses, not zebras. I was like, that's amazing. But in addition, to that, it's like a really good book with a real easy to understand framework that's not dry. The other one, because I'm obsessed with community and understanding what makes people stay, is The Loyalty Leap by Brian Pearson. He helped design one of the early airlines loyalty programs. And my most favorite game to play in the entire world is American Airlines loyalty math. Not because I want to keep my status, but because I want to understand why I can't make status faster. But it has many parallels for marketers who can parlay it into, you've gathered all that data, now what are you going to do with it? How are you going to keep them there? That's so cool. I'm going to have to, I need that book. I need that book. I'm going to get that book probably today. (laughs) Loyalty Leap. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. This show makes us have a book problem. Oh my gosh. So many and how you I, see. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, Lindsay, this has been so awesome. Obviously, this is like we just scratched the surface, but I think you really showed the value of it. And I think our listeners who need to make improvements and will definitely be looking into this. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. We look forward to seeing you at the next trade show or marketing campaign. (laughs) All right. (laughs) And Miss Jenkel, thank you. Um, And as always. Yeah, it's been a great show. It's been a lot of fun. Always a good time. Always. All right, my friends. I hope that everyone has a happy and safe holiday season. We It is underway, whether you like it or not, <laughs> we're in it. And we really uh, appreciate you listening. If you do like the show, I'm not going to ask you to rate or review this time. I'm going to ask you to share it with a friend. So yeah. we do post to Twitter quite a bit. That's our main. <laughs> so hopefully um, our Make a Marketer Twitter account will still be around. We'll see what happens moving forward. Um, but I'll also post on LinkedIn. And but if and you Mastodon. She's going to put it on Mastodon, oh, friends. That okay, that'll be a topic for another show because I've been and seeing how? everyone recommend all these other platforms. And I'm like, oh, okay. I just don't know. All right. But yeah, but we are just, you know, Follow the show on your platform of choice and you'll get every episode when it drops. All right. I can't believe it, but this has been episode 115 of the Making a Marketer podcast, and we will catch you next time.